Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back or welcome to if you are new here. This is episode 47, I believe. Maybe. Honestly, that's quite poor. I've had this podcast for quite a while. My goal, which I'm starting now, I'm not waiting until the new year, but my goal for next year is to do more podcasts because I feel like I am better speaking, speaking my truth, no. <laughs> um, speaking te- takes less time for me than writing does. I do enjoy writing, but I sometimes feel like you just can't, you know, get into the nitty gritty on the nuances or the things that you want to say in, for example, a caption or a post. Um, and let's be honest, People like to multitask and you can multitask when you're listening to me on a podcast. You can't when you're watching my stupid face on a reel. Anyway, today's topic is all about hypothalamic amenorrhea. For those of you that don't know what that means and are not really sure what you're listening to, Amenorrhea is basically the absence of your menstrual cycle. Obviously, not for reasons such as pregnancy or being too young or PCOS or menopause. It is somebody that should be a menstruating individual but has lost it. And there are a few different things that can happen to cause this. Obviously, in the world of nutrition, we are focusing on the side of this which comes from poor nutrition or over restricting calories and intake excessive exercise expenditure or excessive expenditure overall Um, and sometimes what comes hand in hand with that is like psychological stress hypothalamic amenorrhea is obviously linked to the hypothalamus in the brain and that is very sensitive to stress and if you want to put this in simple terms when it senses that the environment for a baby, aka the body, is not safe because, well, you're stressing it out, you're doing too much, you're not feeding it enough, it shuts down your reproductive system and it's like, eh, eh, no, no, we're not having a baby here, this is not safe. And if you're listening to this and thinking, well, that would be really convenient, actually, <laughs> to not have a period every month, then I don't want kids yet. There are so many health implications that come along with this that are super super um what's the word I don't want to say unhealthy but the negative impacts are important they do not want to be ignored and it's not just about not being able to have kids so hypothalamic amenorrhea now this is like you know, if you haven't had a cycle for maybe 90 days or more, or throughout the year you've had less than three, you should probably go and see your GP and test because you'll have to know, is this something else or is this HA? Um, But essentially what's happened is stress is altering signaling to the brain and this causes disruption. We can reverse this. I've had HA, I had it when I was bodybuilding and I was super, super lean. So again, that kind of mixture of excessive exercise expenditure and restricted intake. Um, So we can reverse it with different lifestyle interventions that then reduce the stress that we're talking about. Um, 
which we will probably, sorry, I like cough then randomly. We'll probably get into at the end of this of where best to start. I have spoken about this on social media a bit, but I'll touch on it again in this. Um, but obviously, from what I've just discussed, the main things that you want to think about is, and you will probably know, right, if you're over exercising and you're under eating. Or maybe you don't know, maybe that's your kind of red flag. It was the red flag for me when I was like, oh shit, I don't have a period. What does this mean? Uh, what's going on? And that was the kind of kick for me to, you know, start to address this because essentially you're not in a healthy state if you're not having a period. Your monthly period is like a free monthly health check. If it's not there, something's going on. So what we want to be doing is thinking about how can we reduce the stress on the body through less expenditure or more intake, more energy in, um, or both. Both is probably optimal. Right. And I've had consultations with women that are like, well, I feel like I'm eating enough now. Like I'm definitely eating way, way more. And this is where I should be at like maintenance or even a surplus, but I'm still not getting my period back. And there's no real way to say like how long this this process takes. Um, it depends at what point your body is like, okay, yep, we trust this is safe now. Um, so like some people can restore it after just like a matter of weeks. Some people it will take, you know, months. Um, but it's definitely different. Okay. And there's been a few cases where women have, you know, been repeatedly eaten enough and reducing their intake, but still haven't got their period back. So there was a study that looked into this, but what they did is they looked at the energy that you have available over the day, so hour to hour, rather than just looking at it daily. So yeah, this these women are coming forward and going, you know, I'm eating like three and a half thousand calories. I'm definitely eating more than I expend. Um, how come my period isn't back yet? So they looked at it hourly. And the findings were really interesting. They found that the average time with a negative energy balance, but energy balance, and what I mean by this is taking your body into a deficit where it is expending more than you are consuming. So the time spent in this negative energy balance state, and we're talking like more than 300 calories. Um, I don't know why I'm like losing my words. So time spent in a bigger deficit than 300 calories right, for athletes that had their periods was about 17.6 hours, okay, um, whereas with other athletes, no, I'm sorry, that's wrong, <laughs> so the time spent, no, that's right, oh god, I feel like I should start again, anyway, so athletes with periods, athletes without periods, so the athletes with regular periods, we're spending less time in this negative energy balance state, whereas athletes with no periods were spending like 21.8 hours. So the athletes without periods were in this negative energy balance state, which is a catabolic state, right, for more than four hours per day um, versus the athletes with regular periods. So what this means is usually, like we all dip in and out of this kind of 
negative energy balance state. But it tends to be like quite small deficits. Let's say, for instance, you get up and you don't have breakfast. You wake up, you've been in an overnight, you know, fasting state. Then you get up, you maybe take a dog for a walk, you do some work, do some emails, do the school run, and then you come back and have breakfast. You've probably put your body into a little bit of a small deficit. But then you have breakfast and that brings you back into positive um, energy balance. When you go into like a small deficit, your body can use its stored glycogen to kind of make up that difference. So there's like no harm done really. But when it's a larger deficit, so more than 300 calories, fuel then has to be sourced from other places. So it'll come from things like fat and muscle. And this is what we mean by catabolism, is that you're breaking things down within the body to then convert to fuel because your body needs that fuel. So this is the reason why some women's periods might not return, despite the fact that across the course of the day, their calories might be correct, they're spending too much time throughout the day in like a big negative energy balance state. So that might mean, right, let's say for instance, someone wakes up and they are already like, I don't know, in a kind of deficit of around 100 calories. They then go out for a, you know, an hour's walk or let's say they go out for a run. They then drop down to, I don't know, four, 500 calories of a deficit. They then have some eggs and some veggies and that takes them back up again. So, you know, they've maybe eaten about 300 calories. So now they're back at about 300. Then they do some work. At lunchtime, they go to the gym. Now they're doing a training session. They're going back into that negative state. Then they come home and they have some lunch. And this is like a big lunch. And this actually maybe takes them back into a positive energy balance of around 200 calories. But then they go and do another training session. Can you see how this would kind of dip them in and out? Because they're not really eating enough to bring them out of this negative energy state for long enough. And even if in the evening they have quite a big spike into a positive energy balance it still might not be enough to keep them from dipping back down. So I just find this really fascinating because, again, it just shows that we have to look at this on a case-by-case basis. We can't just say, well, eat this and your period will come back because we don't actually know for sure. Um, So whilst it may be obvious that you need to eat more and train less, It's not that easy to implement and you have to understand that coming personally from my experience and women that I've worked with, if you are somebody that is over-exercising and restricting your food intake, those behaviours are maladaptive. They're not really coming from a place of health. They're coming more from a place of compulsion and they're probably a bit disordered and it's not that easy to switch that off. So the same way that if somebody is emotionally eating and they're in a really bad place mentally and they don't want to exercise, they don't want to go out and move much and they seem to be gaining weight, just telling them eat less, move more is not very helpful. You have to take a person-centered approach. Okay, what feels like a small, easy thing that you could implement to take you closer to where you want to be? And I think that's the same for this scenario. So 
the first thing that I look at with people is like, how are they spreading their calorie intake out to kind of reduce this in-day deficit that we might have going on? Making sure that people are eating or these women are eating breakfast within like a good time frame in the morning from waking and before they do any planned bouts of exercise or long periods of movement or training so that they're not taking themselves further into this negative energy balance. Trying to, you know, regularly consume meals and snacks rather than thinking, okay, I'm going to go for a long period of time without food because I'm having like a huge lunch and a huge dinner. It's probably more optimal to split those meals down and spread them across the day. Maybe even like implementing a bit of a snack or a meal just before going to bed so that you are providing that energy that your body really needs to go to sleep. All the magic happens when we go to sleep. This is where our body really talks to itself, our cells and our DNA is communicating with each other. Um, our hormones really do their work when we're asleep. And if we're not giving them the energy to do so, why would they work for us? So providing something that will help us get better sleep. Um, again, going to bed hungry is not a good thing. That can be really helpful, but it's finding small ways to do this. What feels the least threatening to you? Because if I say you're going to need to increase your daily calories by like 500, that's really scary because what are the consequences of that? Yes, you know what the other side of this is improved health, but there are other fears that are holding you back. So maybe starting with just 100 calories per day or something smaller. Again, if you're somebody that doesn't really have a proper rest day, you maybe do some form of long planned exercise or long bouts of movement every day, is there a way that you can maybe shorten some of your exercise sessions or shorten some of your planned bouts of movement? Or maybe even, pardon me, just implementing one rest day where you don't do anything. It's got to feel manageable for you. And once you do that and you realise, oh, nothing dreadful happened you know these fears that I have that are holding me back they're actually unfounded then you have more motivation to carry on and to keep implementing these behaviors that are going to help you get your period back man like it's so important when we look at women that have no period we aren't getting the surge of hormones that we would normally get with our menstrual cycle and if we're not getting that, we're losing a lot of the positive effects of estrogen and progesterone. One of the kind of key things that we, we tend to see is that we lose some of our bone mineral density, some of which we can never get back. So we should be like increasing our bone mineral density, making more bone each year. And we're actually losing it each year that we that goes by without us having our period. That's fucking scary. Like, don't tell me that's not scary. You're essentially foregoing your bone mineral density that you built up and worked hard for and it could be compared to that of someone that's quite sedentary or someone that doesn't move like thinking about old age what happens to women as they age if they don't take care of their bones they have like one small fall and they break their hip or they break their wrist like I know my gran has done that and one of the main things I've said to her is we need to get you moving like doing some resistance training we need to keep and preserve as much of that as we can. Estrogen also plays a really key role 
in remodeling of skeletal mass. So adapting to our training, you will find that if you don't have a period, at some point your performance is going to start to suffer. You're not going to get as strong. You're not going to be adapting. You're going to really struggle to build muscle. So all these things that you have potentially lost your period for, to be lean, to be muscular, to look like an athlete, you're now jeopardizing again. Estrogen is really important for our mood, our mental health. Lots of women that, uh, you know, go through these phases, and I can attest to this as well, really suffer with their mood. They're irritable, they have low mood. Not to mention that if you're constantly thinking about exercise and food, you don't have time for anything else in life, and that is not a good place to be. So I can't stress this enough how important it is that you address this. And it starts with how can I find ways to reduce my overall expenditure, maybe make my exercise less intense, not always redlining and smashing myself into the ground. Maybe I don't need to go on a two-hour walk every day. Maybe I could just go for an hour. You know, I don't want to take things away from you that are actually really important to your values as a person, but you're going to have to go through a period of adjustment till you get to a place where you can maybe start to build things back up again. Like, look at me now. Like, I do CrossFit. I do Jiu-Jitsu. They're two of the most intense sports you could probably do. But my body is back in a healthy place, and I'm fueling enough where I can withstand that. If I'd have done this, you know, five years ago and I didn't have a period, I'd really be suffering. So try and think of ways that you can slowly implement these things that you need to do and you know getting support is the best way to do this because you maybe need someone in your corner that believes in you and supports you and geez you up when you actually don't believe that you can do it and you can't use that logical part of your brain to think this is something I need to do for my health I hope this has been helpful I hope it's given you some food for thought if you're a coach listening to this and you work with women that are going through this try and figure out, sit down together, have that open conversation about what feels the least scary for them to start to implement and build from there. Start with the smallest barrier and then build and add on and reap the rewards as you go. And that kind of internal and intrinsic motivation will push these people, your clients, these women further along. It is scary. Um, because the reason we got there in the first place is because we're trying to control our body, but we have to let go of some of that control to take control of our health. And that's like a really important message that I want people to get from this podcast. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to put the link to the study that I've spoken about in the show notes. I always feel really posh when I say that in the show notes, um, makes me feel like, Oh, I actually have a podcast. (laughs) Uh, I will also put a website up that might be quite helpful for some of you and uh, maybe a couple of books that you might want to read if you want to geek out on this. If you would like more support with this and you want to have a discussion with me, I will also tell you how you can book in a chat for us to discuss this in a little more detail and come up with a personalised plan for you. I hope this was helpful. Thank you so much for listening. Sharing is caring, so if you enjoyed this or you think this will be useful for someone, please send it forward. And... um please send it forward. Um, I don't know if that just cut out there, but hopefully it didn't. And I will catch you for the next episode.